I'm rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So, Richard, I have a request for you. I'm ready. I would like you to start calling me Chastity Stargazer now. I will not do this. Fine. But I want to form a band called Beaver Lamp. I don't think that either one of us have very good instincts this week. No, this is not true. For example, our instinct to watch United States of Terror. What the fuck is up with this? <laughs> I really like these episodes, actually. No, they were both very good, and I think we're starting to see the shape of where the season is going yeah. to go, which is <laughs> a bad place. Yeah, well, this is the... Again, this is hard to talk about because we know where the season goes, but we are seeing... We we finally seen the reveal of Bryce Crane the altar, which is something which Bryce has been very subtly poking into, you know, putting tendrils into the world. Uh, starting from the very first episode of this season, uh, the you will not win, uh, and that's kind of the fra- one of Bryce's phrases. Uh, yeah, and also foreshadowing the cutting as well, because oh, in yeah. the first episode of the season, she. I guess hallucinates that she's cutting herself, but she's not really cutting herself. I think I got the sense that she was starting to, but you know, the, the other alters intervene. No, because they show, they show her arm and it's not cut. Mm. So I think it was a hallucination, but you know, regardless. Yeah, exactly. Hallucination or just a scratch either way. Now, of course it is, uh, an uh, actual physical cut. Well, this one is at the end of this episode and it's an escalation because she's actually cutting herself. Yeah. Or he's cutting himself he's cutting he's cutting herself it's very complicated well the thing with all of the other altars have had a have had have had in a way a respect for the body in some ways uh t is the one who has been the most reckless with it but now that she's an aa we assume that you know but bryce seems to bryce will seem to be taking the Knowing that the body is not his and doing whatever he wants to it because he's not hurting himself, he's hurting Tara. Right. Yeah, so... uh, Well, that's a bit... I mean, I want to talk about that because there is some... I mean, I don't know if we want to talk about metaphysics, but hey, why mm. not? (laughs) On this podcast? There Wasn't I talking about the nature of the creation of God on the DS9 podcast the other day? Because one of the things about the, the altars, of course, is that they... They were never really separate from Tara's body herself. Yeah. And they always sort of want the body. They they view it as like a prize because that's the way that they externalize their thoughts and their actions. And they, they, they want to be in control of the body. Um, they don't never call her Tara. I mean, the, the, the personality yeah. is Tara. The body is the body. And Bryce... Yeah, it's I, almost as if... I mean, I, I don't want to go too into Dollhouse, but there is almost the idea of this a physical body that personalities are kind of put into. And Tara is the one who has the most right to the body because it is hers, but the other personalities want their existence. And only when they are embodied is, you know, do they exist in a way? Right. And, and, and as we, you know, we reveal at the end of uh, chicken and corn, the second episode, we get a name Bryce crane, and this is some sort of altar that has, uh, been in existence probably since uh, Tara and, and Tremaine were sent to uh, Mimi's house yeah. um, when they were children. And w- what's interesting to me about about the Bryce altar is that there seems to be a disconnect between uh, uh, him and the body. Yeah. It, he doesn't seem to really care about it. I mean, he's obviously hurting Tara. I'm assuming that Bryce can feel pain at the same time that he's cutting Tara's body. I don't know. That's up for debate, I assume. But it doesn't seem like he gives a fuck. It doesn't though. seem like he cares either way. I mean, but, it's, it's it's like the pain of a tattoo. It doesn't really matter in the moment because at the end of the day, he's getting what he wants, which is to hurt Tara. 
Right. And what, but what, what's really weird about it is that, okay, so A, we have this thing about him murdering chicken, which, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing is that at the end of the episode, he goes off and he says, I want to murder Tara. I want to kill yeah. Tara. Where's he going? Well, the one, and again, this is maybe going a little far into what's going to happen in the next few episodes, but we we do know that. So Chicken, when she appears in the cornfield, leaves the rabbit doll behind, and when Tara's crying and saying, you know, oh, he killed her, the rabbit doll's been just torn to shreds. So in a way, the 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 the, the rabbit doll is a... I guess a totem or an incarnation or a symbol for chicken in a way. So perhaps when he's saying I'm going to kill Terry, he's trying to find a something symbolic of Terry that he will destroy in order to kill her. Again, we're dealing we're not dealing with uh, actual chicken is not an actual physical person to kill, but to kill that personality needs something external. Well, yeah, and I think you know maybe because yeah, Bryce could really easily k- kill Terry by just stabbing himself, but. Well, that's the thing, though, is that I don't think he means kill terror the body. I think yeah. he means kill terror the personality. And and that is really what it comes down to for, for me is that, you know, yeah, maybe Bryce uh, needs, like you said, some sort of totem or something like that to, to represent mm-hmm. uh, the personality. And he is – it seems clear in, in the episode at least, and we, we don't know if this is true or not, but but Tara certainly seems to, to believe it, that that chicken is gone. Yeah. And that somehow the Bryce personality, the Bryce altar, has destroyed the chicken altar. Um, this is obviously a new and scary development. Yeah. Can he do the same thing to Tara? And so – at the end of the episode, when when Doctor Hatteras is is following uh, Bryce Crane out of the corn maze, if he is going somewhere to find you know some sort of item that that represents yeah. Tara, almost like a you know a, a, a voodoo doll or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it sounds magical almost, but that there's going to be some sort of internal struggle inside of Tara's psyche, and perhaps Tara will will disappear. Well, is that 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 seems to be what. Again, this phrase "you will not win" that we're hearing um, this season in is in a lot of ways suggesting that Tara might fail at whatever her large goal is, uh, whether we're going to call that integration or health or whatever. I mean, at one point, Doctor Hatteras says, "I can't cure her. I can give her a few years." You know, that's part of what "you will not win" means, and just a, and. This, if there is going to be a struggle between Tara and Bryce, Bryce certainly seems to think he's the one who's going to win that. Yes, but but I also I'm glad you brought up the the scene between Max and Doctor Hatteras, yeah. where where he says, "Look, I can give her a few good yeah. years. I can medicate her," because I have a different read on that on that uh, uh, scene or that statement by Doctor Hatteras, which is that I don't think he, I don't think he believed that when he said he could help Tara. Yeah, um, what has shaken his faith is the the kite boy as an adult jumping off a building and murdering himself, well, and, or committing suicide, I suppose, and. He, his his faith in his own beliefs and his faith maybe even in the 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 psych you know the the power of psychology has been shaken and so in that moment at his lowest when he is living in his own yeah. filth and drinking a lot <laughs> is that he used to think he could cure Tara when he had a success under his belt mm. but now that he realizes that it didn't work he might be having a crisis of of faith and and not thinking that actually Tara can be cured quote unquote well here's the you know. This these two episodes give kind of the missing pieces and to me make it very clear who Dr. Hatteras is. Um I, I remember something that 
my therapist from years ago said we were talking about narcissism and she was saying, yeah, narcissists tend to – they're the kind of people who believe they have the best at everything. They are the best at everything. you know. They're, but when a narcissist gets irrefutable evidence that they're not the best, they crash and they crash really fucking hard. That is exactly what's happening to Dr. Hatteras. And remember we were talking the other week about how, you know, why is he at this school? Like, what you know, this is where he's end up, a mid-tier state school in Kansas. Like, he's not working for a Harvard or Yale or something mm-hmm. like that. I get the idea that Dr. Hat because Dr. Hatteras, all he talks about is Kite Boy, right? He doesn't have a string of of patients that he's helped. He's only really written the one book. He hasn't – you know, this is not somebody who has a long and storied career. He really has only one success that he's clinging to. I mean think about – Hatteras went on a book tour, right? Hatteras was probably on TV at some point. You know, Hatteras got, a, got his little 15 minutes from this book. Maybe when he was originally talking, you know, working with Kite Boy, he realized that, yes, I'm not going to be able to cure this person, but I can let him live functionally and with medication and regular therapy. He can at least live something resembling a – but the more that he goes on TV, the more that his book is read and stuff – I mean he's a really fucking arrogant guy, right? I think he starts to believe his own press releases. I think he starts to believe that, no – I cured this, you know, boy who thought he was a kite and he's going to be fixed forever because of me in these episodes. He is seeing that, no, maybe his original prediction of, you know, I can only give you a few years came true. Maybe he is realizing that. And so I I think at the beginning of his working with Tara, maybe he did, you know, maybe the Maybe if he had met Tara instead of Kite Boy, he would initially be thinking to Tara, I can't completely fix you. Maybe post-Kite Boy, he thinks he can. I mean, he's obviously using Tara to be – grooming her to be his next success, right? He's going to eventually write the book about Tara, but – Maybe not now. Well, not now, and 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 that's the thing. Well, and I think – I mean, part of this too, I think, is is sort of a a misunderstanding on the show's part about what Dr. Hatteras is in his yeah. career because, you know, it, it, professors that teach psychology at, at, at universities and, and colleges don't generally do clinical work either. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of them do, but, but it's not, I don't think it's common. I mean, you, you go down a road of being an academic or you go down a road of being yeah, a clinician yeah, yeah. And, and a therapist and, and, you know, someone who's actually doing the work of helping people. So not to say that professors don't help people, but, I don't really know if that's a misunderstanding on the show's part or if that's supposed to be an unspoken, unclear backstory into, Mm. you know, because there's this whole idea of Dr. Hatteras as as some sort of savior. And one of the things that I think is very clear in these three seasons is that there is always some last hope for Tara. Yeah. And that it doesn't work out. In the first season, it was going to uh, uh, the DID clinic, and that really didn't end up working out, yeah. as we saw in the second season. The second season was really Shoshana. That didn't really work out. And and now we have this character, Dr. Hatteras, who who also is not working out. And it, it may, maybe he will. We still have four episodes of the show yeah. to go before the series finale, but it doesn't seem like... And especially seeing as how this is the first time that 
one of Tara's alters is being violent to her. Yeah. That indicates to me that that he's not going to be able to help her. And there is also a willfulness to Bryce's violence that I do want to make clear because, again, the other alters have gotten into trouble, have had problems, but you would not call any of them, you know, psychotic or crazy or whatever like that. You know, T is wild and drinks and, you know, has all these problems, but she's not, you know— you know, she's not a knife-wielding maniac. Uh, Bryce's purpose seems to, is a lot more deliberate and, and again, violent. So Yeah, I think so. And, I mean, Bryce is, is a weird alter as well. We haven't seen him very much. Yeah. But he, he he's – all of the alters, to some degree, hew toward a stereotypical representation yes. of what these types of people would be. And Bryce is a really stereotypical, you yeah. know, interpretation of what a, a – you know, homicidal psychopath is, and you know, some which, ho- homicidal psychopathic teenager, I which is not really what they do. Hmm. I mean, you know, I'm not an expert or anything, but I also love watching true crime stuff and reading yeah. true crime. And you know, most of the time, serial killers are very, very good at hiding, yeah, uh, uh, you know, how they're feeling and what they're actually doing. Hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like I don't know, about but I this. think part of it is also Bryce doesn't give a fuck how are you going to catch him he's just going to retreat into tara's mind yeah but i think it's you can't have it both ways though because i think the true the the show does treat these personalities as real people and so you can't say oh well he's not a real person yeah i mean maybe you can i don't know and maybe that's where the show is going or the argument that it's making but you know i I don't know and i i think that that you know at this point you know it might make more sense to to move on to something else because we're we're working from incomplete information. At yes, this point. that that is true. But um, we will see a lot more of Bryce. Um, I don't know. I, I I guess these are the episodes where I like Hatteras the most. I think where I yeah. think that he's actually. Uh, I mean, I appreciate that he knows who he is. I mean, when he does come back to her, he does say like, "Yeah, I've been feeling sorry for myself. I'm done wallowing and all of that." Like he knows he's being. You know, an idiot to her. You know, he knows he's breaking up with her improperly. I mean, we saw Dr. Ocean breaking up with Tara and the way that she handled that. I think that's the proper way of – I mean, there, Hatteras has a great line where, you know, he says, well, it's – you know, my my method is that, that – what was the line? That boundary between ethical and radical, you know, yeah. where he knows, he knows it's bullshit, but he also, you know – he and Tara know that this is an extreme case, and so ethics can a little go out the window for this. Like, I think Hatteras is a lot more plain about who he, he is, but maybe to a, a, a – again, a lot of his assholeness is a defense mechanism hiding the fact that I think he kind of knows he's a charlatan. I mean, remember the episode title where – I don't know. I don't know if well, I agree that he's a charlatan. Well, I, I just I, keep – well, I, I don't think know that he – I don't know that he believes that. I mean, I do think he really did legitimately help that person. And, you know, whether or not it, it, it did not succeed for the rest of his life. No. I mean, is that a failure? I don't know. I no, mean, I mean, I, I, we, we, we don't, we well, don't, we don't. We don't t- tell oncologists that have people that go into yeah. remission for five years and they come, the cancer comes back that they failed. Well, and I remember they got five good years of life. Something I think you told me when uh, Robin Williams committed suicide, uh, you would said there was you saw a tweet or something like, "Oh my God, you know, if he had had therapist or something," and someone responding saying, "You know, well, 
he did have therapists, and that's how he managed to live so long. If he hadn't been in therapy, he would have. And so Kite Boy probably would have killed himself much, you know, much earlier I, on. As I think that 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 what it really comes down to for me is that Doctor Hatteras's fault is not that he didn't cure or mm. or whatever Kite Boy for the rest of his life. It's more that Doctor Hatteras misinterpreted that success as complete, yes, a complete cure. And, you know, oncologists, other doctors will never say that someone is completely cured of something. No, it's more unless of a remission. It's o- unless it's fairly obvious. I mean, unless it's like, hey, you have a staph infection, take this antibiotic. Yeah. Like, they're not going to be like, well, the staph infection could come back at some point. You know, like... Yeah, the, cure, the, 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 the word is not cure, but treatment. And maybe, uh, doc, you know, I, I just keep thinking of the title of that episode, Dr. Hatteras's Miracle Elixir. Like, he is... A little degree, a APD Barnum kind of, you know, snake oil salesman. He's selling something that's going to well, cure think, Tara forever and be magical. And no, it's it's the hard work that she's, you know. Yeah, but I think also, uh, you know, again, I have a different interpretation yeah. of Doctor Hatteras because I I think that you're interpreting his showman qualities as acting in bad faith or being a charlatan mm. when I think he just has showman qualities. I don't think I mean he's... the guy the guy wrote a book like you said he probably did a book tour he probably just you know he's a he's a professor he's a teacher we've seen him teach he obviously likes theatrics yeah. I don't think that that makes him a bad psychologist I, and I, I I guess um and I I don't want I don't, I, I don't want an to annoying o- person I but... don't want to overstate when I say charlatan I don't mean that you know he's a liar or that he's you know completely a phony like I just think he well that's what charlatan means though <laughs> <laughs> I think he has a good base of I think he's a mid-level psychiatrist who thinks he's a star yeah that that yeah i, Maybe I that, agree with that that's that he's making he's making burgers and he thinks he's the world's greatest chef yeah yeah but he's he thinks he's what what is the kind of cheese but he's really uh he, I'm, I'm with him on that though oh yeah, yeah I, I like I, swiss though I li- oh swiss is horrible i like a variety of cheeses well yeah. but i mean and, and and I guess that's one of the but but his his ultimate point, you know, sometimes you want whatever, sometimes you want sometimes sometimes you get Swiss, but we all have to eat. I mean, his point is that yes, you know, Tara is going he believes that Tara is eventually going to slip to under to be mm-hmm. treated and that sucks. That's a shame. That's terrible, but at the same time Tara could get hit by a car to a degree. Like, 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 let's and I mean, you know, the other thing too is that Tara, to some degree, but I think Max to a larger degree, um, views all of this succession of of therapists or psychologists as this is the one that's going yes. to fix Tara. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing to have out as hope, but it's also not realistic and. I, I think that if there's one thing that the show is making clear, it's that none of the therapists that Tara has ever had have made it crystal clear yeah. to her that there is no curing this. There's treatment, yeah. there's remission, there's whatever, but it's not going to go away. There's something very cyclical about the show, really. Again, as we said, it, it seems every session, every season, she has a new therapist. There is going to be a revelation that's going to you know, explain her DID and like those kind there, and there's a new altar, you know, all of these things happen except in different permutations. And this is probably what Tara's life 
has been and will be. She is going through, going to have periods where she is doing well and the medication is working and the alters are behaving and then something's going to happen and it's going to slip slip down and the alters will take control and Tara will not be able to take control of herself. Mm-hmm. And then she'll find a new therapist, she'll be on another drug and things will get a little better. And she, But this is going to be the pattern. It's not a... She unfortunately does not have a have the luxury of a linear life. Yeah, and I think that that's to move away from this for a little bit. I think that that's also the point of uh, Marshall interviewing his father in the in the mm. first episode. You know, because Marshall is really struggling with the idea that um, his his parents would would willingly bring more people into this situation. Yeah. And you know, yeah, Kate was a mistake. Okay, whatever. But he says, well, I wasn't a mistake, you guys, you know, and, and what he says, oh, well, Tara really liked being pregnant and all of this kind of stuff, which, fine. But, I mean, Mar- yeah, Marshall, this is when he says, like, kids came in pairs, like, it's just what you did. He had a standard 2.5 children. Mar- Mar- Max is not what we would consider a man of uh, uh, great introspection. Hmm. Like, I'm not saying he's stupid. No. I just don't think he really has the time or the inclination or the interest to sit around and, and, and analyze himself. I think and, he's he's simple enough in that he likes to work his job, do a good job, hang out with his friends, stay with his family. You know, he, he, he doesn't have a lot that need, he doesn't need a lot to make him happy. Yeah. And, well, obviously. <laughs> well, you know, but. Because he's got a wife who's not him herself all the time. Yeah. But I think that, you know. But, 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 but I think that's part of where Max is, is that Max doesn't have much that he needs to make him happy. But in, for example, Department of Fucked Up Family Services, one of the reasons he gets so upset is because I'm just asking for this one thing. I need you on this one day. I don't ask for much. And I think Max doesn't really get frustrated until he actually has a need that he realizes his family is unable to help him with. Those needs don't come very often, maybe once every six months to a year, but every time they do, it it hits very hard. And also, I mean, I think that, that if you look at the second episode mm. this week, um, with with his whole, you know, fear of flying thing and stuff like that, and, and, and they have that conversation, Marshall and Max have that conversation on the plane about, you know, look, I'm, I'm not going to take care of you, that's not my job, yeah. like, you know, all this kind of stuff. And on the one hand, Marshall's right. On the other hand, he's being a little bit of a brat. And um, I think that, you know, because Max is not doing that deliberately. He's really afraid of flying. And that's a real thing. Uh, I I, I think that what it, you know, what what that scene and what that whole little storyline in the second episode makes me think is that it wasn't that Max really decided to have an extra kid um, because he wanted more people around to take the load off or whatever. He just, I don't know. He didn't really think about it. And now that, his children are getting older. I think that he's starting to panic a little bit yeah. about being alone in the house with Tara, frankly. Uh, yeah. And now that it seems like a very real possibility, I mean, Kate's out of the house a lot more now that she's working as a flight attendant and Marshall is going off to New York and he's going to do yeah. whatever he's going to do. He's going to go away to college in a couple of years. So it's just going to be Max and Tara again. And, and, and I think he's starting to freak out about yeah. that. I mean, he talks at one point, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but um, Marshall asks, you know, with mom like that, and he basically says, like, well, he he seems to imply that she had been not really diagnosed as much, or she had, I mean, this was 15 years ago, and... Yeah, Max says, I think, we didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and I mean, as as even the show makes clear, the Tara's illness 
has been through the period of time that it changed from multiple personality disorder to disassociative identity disorder, which which reflects a sea change in the way this has been completely understood since she was first diagnosed, you know, in the, in the 15 years. And so well, the whole concept of disassociation yeah. is, is fairly new. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for him, he basically says like, we were just young and in love and we had a couple of kids, you know, we weren't really thinking in the, there's a, um, there's a George Orwell piece, uh, where he's talking about people in coal mines and he says, you know, how there's, you know, the upper crust of London, you know, we'll look at this and be like, why are they having families? Why are they getting married? And, you know, they live in such terrible conditions and such abject poverty. Why is this still happening? And Orwell's point is basically, well, they're people. They're going to do this. You know, it, it, you know, fuck that. It doesn't really matter. You know, again, Max and Tara are in love. They're young. They can have a family. They feel that. Why not? You know, mm-hmm. this is what people do. They're people. They they have the right to that. Uh, Marshall suggesting that they. You know, he he almost feels like he his father and mother brought them willingly into an abusive situation or a dangerous situation when that's not how it was for them. I mean, also, hell, Max and Tara were around 20. I mean, they – maybe maybe now, you know, Max would have a different view on it. But at the time, he, you can't fault him for not being that long term. Well, yeah, I think. I mean, there's there's a degree to which I agree with that, and I disagree with that. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I, I know. I'm. I, I think here. that I think that someone's intentions cannot be bad, and it can still have a bad outcome. Of course. And I also think that Marshall is not necessarily um, unjustified in his no. anger at the situation. I mean, I think that Marshall is really coming to terms with the, with the fact of. Um, you know how uh, how abusive living in this house really is, and I don't think I'm not using abuse in the term of someone who is actively being abusive. Yeah, but it is still a form of abuse. I'm not and sure. I, I mean, yeah, abuse doesn't feel like the quite right word, but it was a difficult and traumatizing in many ways house. Yeah, maybe trauma is a better word. Yeah, but I I, I do think that um you know there's there's pretty much no uh, there. It, if you buy the show's conception of Tara's illness, there is no agency on her part for for inflicting this trauma on everyone yeah. in her family. But it doesn't change the fact that it happens. Yeah. And I think that Max and Tara need to realize that. I also think that there's a degree to which they still view Marshall as a little kid. Yeah. You know, even though uh, he's not. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that we will. We, we, I, I guess that, you know, that's. It's funny that when Kate's boyfriend gives him a toy truck, you know, because he misinterprets how old he is. That's a pretty interesting juxtaposition. It is. And I also like the fact that the show is still highlighting very subtly Kate's complete selfishness. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Partly it's selfishness and partly I think it's just because she doesn't want to have Evan meet her family. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's very Evan. That's his name. I could not fucking remember his name for the life of me. Um, all of her boyfriends have terrible hair, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know what's up with that. You know, it's, it's, it's from samurai knots back in the first episode. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I think it's interesting that Kate doesn't want him to meet her family specific, especially because she was so, she was very happy when Zach finally met her family. She brought him to the fucking wedding for a while. Now, of course, during the wedding was when she decided, you know, not to be with him and she was much more 
quote unquote, see her. She was to the point of discussing getting a condo with Zach. So I think this does suggest that Kate wants to take this a lot slower this time around. Um, I mean, I think their relationship as it is isn't a bad thing. He is getting out of a marriage and and making those first steps. I think he's somewhat age appropriate. I don't know how old he's supposed to be. He's a little too old for her. It's true. But at the same time, I, uh, because of, I think his situation again, he's, he's divorced. He has a kid and stuff. He's not going to, I think Kate's supposed to be like 38 now. Exactly. Um, she, she, she needs kind of a casual starter relationship. Now she needs an actual, nice guy who's not going to do anything too terrible and he needs somebody who he can have fun with and he doesn't have to go into that series. Like, I think both of them are looking for that mix of casual and, you know, intimate that they can provide for each other. And maybe meet at the meeting, the family part is getting that too much into an actual relationship. Well, okay. So here, here's my question for you then. Um, I want to talk about Marshall and, and his Noah. Yeah. And and then Lionel, of course, but but um, there's something that Lionel says to Marshall where he says basically, you know, yeah, you have intimacy issues. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, okay. Do you think that's true for Kate as well? Because they grew up in the same house. Mm. They both see the ways in which their parents... I mean, part of the reason why people get intimacy issues is because of the way that their parents <laughs> act towards each other. Well, so, they, yeah, neither of them cannot... Both of them know that their parents love them and want to be there for them, want to support them. They they know. Yeah, but that has that. nothing to do with Well, no, no, no. I, I, I think it does because both of their parents are unable to be able to provide those. And so you can't really fault Marshall and Kate for feeling that, well, at the end of the day, I can't really trust these, you know, other people to 100%, you know, go to the finish line with me. Eventually, you know, well, I think- so I, I think now... Both of them, they express it in different ways, but I think Marshall definitely does feel like, you know, men can't be what they need. And if he if he leaves, well, that's okay because what does it matter? Yeah, um, I I think you're wrong. Okay, and I think you're wrong primarily because an intimacy. Well, because you put me on the spot, and I never thought about it. No, 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 no. no. I I think that what it really comes down to is that that intimacy issues and all sorts of other uh, um, things like that are are mental coping mechanisms that people develop over time to protect themselves from feeling bad. Hmm. And I don't think this is a conscious choice on Kate's part. I don't think this is a conscious choice on, on Marshall's part. I think these are coping mechanisms that become ingrained over a long period of time. And uh, it, it is the case where Kate and Marshall are obviously going to have different reactions to that different interpretations of that different intimacy issues because they are different people and simply it may even be as simple as kate's taking more influence from her mother and marshall from his father well i i don't think it's incidental that most or all of the men that kate has dated since samurai knots have been older than her yeah I, i don't think that's incidental um i think that she views older men as more stable more mature able to protect her more Able I think to get her out if she needs to able be. Able to get her out if she needs to be, absolutely. Whereas Marshall just shuts down. And that's very different, but the I think that the, the genesis of both of those coping mechanisms are very similar. Yeah. I also don't think it's incidental that all of the men that Kate, Kate has dated, except for Samurai Nods, have been through work. 
in a lot of ways have been people she met through work. Again, for Kate, work is her ticket out of this place. You yeah. know, Barnaby's was how she was going to get her own apartment. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I mean here, I mean, I want to talk about Marshall and Lionel because I, I, Marshall's becoming a very interesting character. I don't think that the actor who played, what's his name, Gil something? Here, Gil Chris. Yeah. Um, he's not significantly older than he was in the first season, but they're doing something with yeah. him that make, make, they make, they're making him look older. I don't know if it's his hair. I don't know if it's his clothes. It's probably a combination of all those yeah. things. He's probably just acting differently as well. But, and he is certainly, I mean, he's more, he's more, um, I think he, the Marshall of the third season is more self-assured than the Marshall of the first yeah. season. He, he's, uh, more mature to some degree. He's a little bit more sarcastic. He's a little bit more self-deprecating. Um, and so partially and, due to Lionel's influence, partially due to, I mean, in the first season he was, is this boy like me? Is he even gay? Now it, he's at the point where he has had sex with at least two guys, you know, and ha, ha, knows at least two other guys and has had, you know, romantic things with them he's a guy he's he's older he's he's had more life experience and if there's one thing that gays like to do it's throw shade um oh yeah but i i think that that you know that's all true certainly but that that scene i mean because he's i don't know it's hard to talk about because i'm not really sure to what degree marshall realizes what he's doing is is inappropriate i think that he does Uh, you know the genesis of his relationship with noah is that he basically was cheating on lionel while they were still going out and lionel was hurt um then of course He's now maybe I don't think he, I don't think he actually slept with Lionel. No, I don't. But he it was kind of an emotional betrayal, I think, maybe a little bit. And the thing he, is, he I, had a quarrel with his boyfriend and he immediately ran to his ex-boyfriend to talk about and it. Again, and again, 16. So, you know, I think that's where a lot of that does come from. I think part of it is, you know, Marshall at one point, you know, was wondering, oh, maybe Max is the protagonist of this Marshall thinks he is the protagonist of his own life in a lot of ways. He's 16, he's 17, however. Um, and so I don't th- – I, I think his clumsy actions, he has justifications for them because, well, you know, I was really meant to be with Lionel. So if I go to him to talk about or Lionel was the only one who's really there for me. Noah isn't. And whether or not that's true is irrelevant because that's just where Marshall is at at, at this place. Well, I, I guess I guess the thing that I'm left with wondering is well, two things. Number one, Noah seems really nice in a very sort mm. of generic way, <laughs> and he almost seems a little too good to be true. There are some indications that he comes from a family that's perhaps a little bit emotionally abusive, but you know whose family isn't. And uh, the other thing, I mean, he seems pretty well adjusted. He seems like a nice guy. You know, he seems like he likes Marshall. Yeah. And and you know, he says, I you know, when Marshall tells him to get out, he says, oh, you know, I didn't take it personally. Family stuff is great, yeah. or whatever he says. He seems like a good guy. Um, but on the other hand, Marshall rejects Noah and then goes to, to, to Lionel. I don't know why that is. I think maybe part of it is that, um, he's not expecting anything from Lionel. And so, you know, Lionel, well, no, it's, it's that Lionel is not expecting anything from him. And so Marshall can be more emotionally open or show a vulnerable side to Lionel because Lionel's not looking for anything from Marshall and Marshall's not looking for anything from Lionel. Whereas it feels like there's a lot more weight on, on uh, the relationship with, with Noah at this point. Yeah. Not frankly, neither Kate nor Marshall know how to draw support from the person they're with, which is a difficult lesson to learn, but, uh, I, I, I think Marshall certainly hasn't fucking figured it out. I mean, the reason he broke up with Lionel seemed to be because he had more in common with Noah. The reason he 
is going behind Noah's back to find Lionel is because Lionel's the person he can talk to. I mean, it's... I don't know. I, I think it's deeper than that. I think that, that Lionel was starting to... They were starting to have emotional intimacy, mm. and that probably scared Marshall off. That could be too, yeah. You know, and is that true? I don't know. But that's kind of my interpretation of it. And I keep going back to that <laughs> that car again because... Marshall uses, well, he's using sex as a weapon. Um, he's also very explicitly saying, will you just shut up and fuck me? Um, that's. I mean, maybe, you know, actually, no, that bit, because that's for the old Lionel in a way. That That's a, that's putting Lionel in the bucket of, this is a guy who all he gives a shit about, all he cares about is, you know, sex and fucking, and he's wants to go into the hmm. bushes and have sex with other people. And so, you know. That's all Lionel's good for. And the re- I mean, Lionel gets really fucking offended and upset and angry at that because at this well, point, yeah, it's, be- it's yeah. emotional abuse. Yeah, because at this point, I mean, let's even be charitable and say that the version of Lionel that was at the beginning of the second season was the kid who just, you know, gave a shit about pleasure and fun and, you know, whatever, and, you know, I'm going to be an asshole because, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we, we've talked about Lionel's self-destruction and, you know, he does have a bit of a nihilistic attitude. We can even say that, you know, through Marshall, Lionel grew up a little bit. Lionel learned to, you know, maybe Lionel didn't have a love for film or much else before, but he started to grow that and he start you know, that was genuine. So, being pushed back into that who you were a year ago, that's all I want from you. I mean, even cheap, you know, in Lionel's mind, that may even cheapen the relationship he had with Marshall, where I, Marsh, you know, Lionel did grow to love Marshall. Now he's wondering, you know, was all, I just, you know, a human dildo to this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, also, too, um, Marshall's a bottom? I. Th- <laughs> you, 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 you kind of figured that uh, Noah would be. I mean, he's 16. Let the boy do a bunch well, of stuff. That, it's weird to me because, and I think, you know, I'm not talking about this because I like talking about teenage boys having sex. Although. It, it's, it's more, that's on you. Uh, it's more that. Yes, all over me. The, the ways in which Marshall is talking about sex with his various boyfriends is indicative of his. I think performative emotional state to some degree, because, you know, the first episode he tells Lionel, shut up and fuck me. Uh, in the second episode, he says something about, you know, I'm going to go have butt sex with my boyfriend in New York. No, that was Lionel. No, it no I'm sorry. No, that was Noah. It was, uh, yeah, Noah said that. Yeah, you're right. But, but, and, and, and he says that in a way of no, joking no, 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 of no, what no. his father is going to say about, no, it. no, Marshall said that. And Noah said, I wouldn't get through. Mm. Okay, Marshall. He's, I mean, what I'm saying is that Marshall is very, very, very invested in the idea of anal sex for some reason. <laughs> I don't know if they've he's actually had anal sex with anybody. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before, where yeah. I don't really understand what younger gay men do anymore, and there is a sort of heteronormativity surrounding uh, the ways in which gay men have sex that are younger than me that I don't really understand, but. I also don't really buy the fact that 16-year-olds yeah. living in Kansas like seven years ago would be having so much butt sex. <laughs> Especially when you consider that uh, a couple episodes ago, Noah and Marshall apparently hadn't done more than just kissing and assumedly the dry humping that he did with Jason in the first season. Right. I mean, 
I, I mean, wonder I, I, if I, I wonder if that is a blind spot on the part of the writers. I, that's what I'm wondering, actually, because, I mean, I don't buy that they would be. And, and yeah, okay, you can kind of say, I, I just think they're writing them, I mean, to some degree, I think they're writing them like straight people, hmm. um, at least in that respect. And, you know, I don't want to go down a road too much of talking about the mechanics of anal sex, but, you know, it's not really something that I think 16-year-old boys are going to be that interested in figuring out. It's not like it's that easy to do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm talking around this because I don't know that we need to get too graphic, but... It is it is a weird thing for me to look at that and say, you know, there is a lot of uh, a performative sexuality going on here, but it's also just weird that he would be talking about it this much. I don't know if it's just teenage boys being braggy to each other in a way, uh, crossing a line that they can't cross ordinarily. Maybe it's just simply well, they're that. they're not being braggy, though. I mean, Marshall's talking about it with... Well, you know, no, in the in the way that they're it's not go- like he's like, hey, I just fucked Noah to Lionel. He's not no. doing that. So I don't know. It's strange to me. Well, I mean, I just it's just I have something to, I notice. I guess I feel like Lionel has had the anal sex with some of these guys in you know that he's met in the park, and I assume that he and Marshall have, you know, and maybe I you know to what degree Noah's been involved in these activities. I don't know to whether he's. You know, again, in the context that they talk about butt sex at that point. I don't think Marshall's ever seen Noah without his shirt off. Aww. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, again, I think in the context of the cornfield, when they say butt sex, that's um, Marshall doing an impression of Noah's father. And, you know, the most horrifying thing he could, you know, it, it, he's uh, ex- exaggerating the... Uh, debauchedness of it so you know in that sense i don't know in the sense of the car with lionel i mean maybe he just does want to get fucked to forget about it and to be in a little bit of pain you know it could just be as simple as that maybe well i have uh, uh completed my desire to talk about anal sex for seven minutes on a podcast so we can move on to something else hooray achievement unlocked we haven't really talked about charmaine and that's primarily because I don't care. Yeah, what's going on the, I like the one line where she's like, where she talks about how her dream was to be, and this is perf. This is Charmaine in one line. I was gonna be a groupie for the Counting Crows, but I was in cosmetology school, and then I got mono. Like I, I, I think that perfectly sums up what teenage Charmaine was. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> also, how is Max thirty? I don't think he is. I, is he just? kidding about that line like oh i'm turning 30 now because it does at the very least yeah. if he was tw- that means he was 14 when he had kate yeah no he's not 30 okay. there's no way yeah i mean i'm gonna be 36 soon and i look a lot better than him so yeah at least my skin looks good i think his skin looks good yeah he's got a lot more wrinkles than i do i like wrinkles you can like wrinkles well, listen fine. kate and i can bond over our love for older men well, we would be remiss if uh, we did not at least mention the fact that Beaver Lamp exists and did play a song. And it wasn't awful. It wasn't awful, no. It, it wasn't at, great. At, well, as as Max says, average beer band with a weird name. They're I, a fine bar band. I, I do think that um, Max is attempting to forge some sort of outside identity for yeah. himself that is not the family again. And I think that him being 
so open to, I mean, because bringing back Beaver Lamp was not his idea. No. It was Tara's idea. But I think that him being so open to that is an indication that he realizes that he needs to get some other stuff going on in his life because his kids are not going to be around much longer. And frankly, it's also a suggestion that Tara knows Max very well because it, that is her suggestion. She does recognize, I think, that Max needs something at this point. He's feeling like he's way too old. He is, you know, again, they know that in a couple of years they're going to just be by themselves. You know, Max doesn't like his job. He knows that, you know, so he needs, and there are, it, a very good way to get out stress is to get drunk and, you know, play loud rock music with your friends. You know, Max is not going to be a rock star anymore. He knows that, you know, even at the, you know, we know. We can see hearing Beaver Lamp's music why they, he didn't become a hit rock star, but this is still a fine hobby for him. He's oh, still sure, going to play yeah. out, and I think that's I think that's good. Yeah. I miss being in bands. I think that's it. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. And uh, it has been brought to my attention that some people do not know what Patreon is. <gasps> it is a website where you can give us money. So if you're enjoying tuning in, if you're enjoying our other podcast, Trek About, which is in the seventh season of Deep Space Nine right now, we're talking about next week, Strange Bedfellows and the Changing Face of Evil. You can go to patreon.com slash show and give generously. Thank you. We love you. Tuning in. Don't speak for me. Tuning in show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is our username in all those places for all of our updates, tweets, Facebook posts, Instagram do we have a LinkedIn? Instagrams. It's just should, it just should be Instagram, right? I don't know. To play on Telegram, I think. I mean, you know, singing. You know, yes, Instagram or plural Instagrams. Instagram. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show, especially considering the fact that we are moving on to a new show soon. I wonder what it I is. I said last week. That I was going to be giving clues. And the second clue is. So next week we're going to be talking. nothing like it. I'm tone deaf. Someone will get it. Someone will get it. All right. So if you know of a show that has at least three notes in its main theme. And you can guess from that. Next week we're going to be. Oh, we're almost done. Is it Final Fantasy? It is. <laughs> yeah, we're doing we're doing a podcast on Final Fantasy. We're not doing that. Uh, we're going to be talking about the episodes. Brace will play and Trainwreck. Mac, why do you?